0: This is The Guardian.
1: Today, how Scotland's leadership campaign is exposing divisions within the SNP.
2: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier.
1: it was never going to be easy to replace Nicola Sturgeon. This charismatic woman, who's been leader of the Scottish Government for more than eight years, had become totemic of her party. She had, she implied in her resignation speech last month, become something of a distraction. Yeah, I feel more and more each day now that the fixed opinions people increasingly have about me, as I say, some fear, others little more than caricature, are being used as barriers to reasoned debate in our country. It was time for someone else to lead the country towards that single goal that unites SNP members, to make Scotland independent. What I do know is that the SNP is awash with talented individuals. What I am looking forward to, and I think the country will enjoy, over these next few weeks is seeing that talent. Three people are now competing to succeed her. And in television debates over the past week, their personal differences
3: have been laid bare.
4: And you're not able to give a really straight answer to a really straight question on our progressive agenda, and that's going to lose our support.
3: Good governance matters, so a good health service matters. Sure. Dealing with the economy matters. I mean, why do you think I'm more trusted to tackle the cost of living crisis so suspect,
4: than you are? So I suspect because you've not had a public service delivery role, but I've had three of the most difficult in government over the last 10 and a half years.
1: On key issues like healthcare, the economy, on gender and sexuality, and even on how to achieve Scottish independence, they've disagreed.
3: How are you going to deliver independence if the public don't have confidence
4: in you? Uh, they do. In f- three weeks, I've managed to increase public support, quadrupled it in fact. What
5: three we weeks. actually need to do is stop thinking that we need to ask any kind of permission from Westminster.
1: This leadership campaign has shown the SNP to be a much more divided party
6: than many people would have imagined. The contest to succeed her has become almost an existential battle over the direction of the party, uh, what its policy should be. To put it bluntly, I think for the SNP, everything is at stake. From The Guardian,
1: I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, the increasingly bitter battle to become Scotland's next First Minister. Libby Brooks, you're The Guardian's Scotland correspondent. Looking at the SNP, maybe more than any other party in the UK in recent years, they've seemed remarkably unified and they've stayed in power. At the moment, they're in coalition with the Scottish Green Party. What do the SNP owe their electoral success to?
6: What they have succeeded in doing is bringing together a really broad church of voters under the pro-independence umbrella. They, They were hugely successful in wooing Labour voters after the 2014 independence referendum and effectively dismantled Scottish Labour's control in the country with this progressive agenda, which was not just about social policy, but also included, for example, taxation. They have this very convincing track record for a competent, consistent government. But it should be said that even when Nicola Sturgeon was stepping down, her approval ratings, although they had dipped from high point during the COVID crisis, they were still ratings that would be the envy of, of most Westminster politicians. She's leaving with high approval ratings after
1: eight years as a leader. You know, that's That's pretty unusual in politics. And in her resignation speech, she was keen to emphasise that, don't worry, there are other stars in the party who'll be able to continue my legacy. There is always so much more to be done. I look forward to watching with pride as my successor picks up the baton. Well, three candidates have come to the fore and so far, the race seems close between Hamza Youssef and Kate Forbes. There's also Ash Regan. Let's talk about Yusuf first. Just tell us the
4: basics. What do
6: we need to know about him? Hamza Yusuf is certainly seen as the continuity candidate.
4: If it, continuity means continuing 15 years of winning elections, then I think that continuity is no bad thing.
6: He is a Scots-Pakistani Muslim He entered Holyrood as a regional MSP in 2011 at the age of 26, and then won his Glasgow Pollock constituency in 2016. He took his
4: oath of allegiance in Urdu whilst wearing a kilt.
6: He's gone on to become the Scottish Government's first and only Muslim cabinet minister. He's been in charge of some of the biggest departments in the Scottish government, but that's brought with it a lot of heavy criticism about his capabilities. Nicola Sturgeon has not come out and, and said that she's supporting any particular candidate, but the assumption is that Youssef is is her preferred successor. And it's certainly the case that the majority of MPs and MSPs who have declared... Uh, their allegiance have all come out for Hamza Yusuf.
1: You interviewed him last week, didn't you? How confident did he seem to be about his position in this race so far?
6: Well, I, I mentioned this lengthy list of endorsements to him and he's pretty pragmatic about that in that he, he told me, look, you're not going to win a contest based on endorsements. But He's also very clear that he wants to continue the progressive agenda that was, was really foregrounded by Nicola Sturgeon. And he has warned in that interview with me that the SNP risks making itself both unelectable and losing the core argument for independence if it abandons that agenda and lurches to the right, which is how he characterises, obviously, a Kate Forbes leadership.
1: Let's talk about Kate Forbes then, his biggest rival in this campaign. What does she stand for and who is she?
6: At 32, she is seven years younger than Yusuf. She was born in Dingwall near Inverness. She's a native
3: Gaelic speaker.
6: She traveled with her missionary parents as a child and she says that that is what inspired her drive to fight poverty in Scotland and she was elected to Holyrood in 2016. She is a member of the Free Church of Scotland. She's socially conservative and at the start of the campaign risked derailing her bid When she came out with some very uh, blunt views on social issues, for example, saying that if she had been an MSP at the time, she would not have voted for equal marriage.
0: If you were about at the time where you were able to legislate on this, that's been gone now, but you
1: would
4: have voted against that then because of your beliefs? I would have. Has your campaign gone up in flames?
3: No, absolutely not. It's Is it her- correct
4: for people across Scotland to have children outside of marriage?
6: Um, it's, it's not, it's something that I would um, seek to avoid. But she has also developed a great reputation for competence and composure under pressure. Famously in 2021, she stepped up at the last minute to deliver Hollywood's budget.
3: Today's budget will help to bring much needed support and stability to ensure our economy recovers and we protect those who have been hit the hardest.
6: She had to familiarise herself with every sort of single detail of it with just hours to spare so that she could be cross-examined effectively by the opposition on it.
1: So you've got Hamza Youssef, who is the more experienced candidate and is being characterised as the continuity candidate. And Kate Forbes, who has been seen as something of a rising star within the party and is being characterised as more of the right wing of the SNP. And then there's a third person in this race.
6: Tell us about her. That's right. We also have Ash Regan, who resigned her role as a junior minister last year in protest at the Scottish government's gender recognition bill. I would say that I'm definitely not the SNP headquarters choice. I'm
5: clearly the outsider in this contest. So I'm trying that bit harder to make an impact.
6: She has dismissed as insulting suggestions that she is Alex Salmond's sock puppet in this race. And that's Alex Salmond, who was
1: Nicola Sturgeon's predecessor.
6: That's right. And who left the SNP to set up uh, his own party, Alba. And what does Ash Regan stand for? She's been strongly critical of the other two candidates on their independence strategy, accusing them of being wishy-washy about when to hold a second referendum. And indeed, she has come up with a number of creative policies, including what she described as a readiness thermometer, which, uh, as I understand it, is supposed to be some sort of, sort of physical installation to show how ready the population is for independence. We
5: could put it up in, in Glasgow or in Edinburgh, and it can be outside and it has a dial on it that moves. So when we've you know set, made all the plans for the, the currency, for instance, that dial will move and it will inch forward. And the media can look at it, everyone can look at it, and it builds that confidence with the public. So that when we get up to the 100%, everybody in Scotland knows we've solved all these problems
1: oh wow okay that feels like a very sort of blue peter solution you know like when they were doing their charity fundraisers and <laughs> uh, and you'd get the thermometer to gauge uh, how well things were going
6: yeah no that's true i mean i could i can see it with uh, lots of sort of flashing lights and whizzy bits uh, it could be amazing
1: This campaign is being played out in TV debates. What has struck you so far about the tone of those?
6: Well, I think what has struck me and also struck a lot of the SNP membership is how gloves off. Certainly the first one last week on STV was pretty ferocious. You had Yusuf accusing Kate Forbes of wanting to lurch to the right.
4: If a change means lurching to the right, Kate, if it means rolling back on no, a values, I don't think that's a good also
3: change. Suggesting
6: you, you had Forbes sort of essentially taking a swipe at her own government's record, because, you know, let's not forget she remains the incumbent um, finance minister, and, um, and also swiping at Nicola Sturgeon. More of the same
3: is not a manifesto. It's an acceptance of mediocrity.
6: And then you had Ash Regan.
5: The SNP has lost its way. There's been no progress on independence in the last few years, despite the worst UK governments of all time.
1: I mean, it's quite surprising to see it from the outside, actually, that they're tearing each other apart like this. It suggests that you've got a party here that's at war with themselves. What are the main
6: issues they've clashed on? Well, I think the SNP is at a crossroads and it is facing this existential choice about the nature of the, the party it wants to be. And obviously, independence strategy is going to be at the heart of that. But there have also been of very significant disagreements on social issues. Forbes was really brutal in her assessment of Yusuf's record
3: well, Hamza, you've had a number of jobs in government. When you were a transport minister, the trains were never on time. When you were a justice minister, the police were strained to breaking point. And now as health minister, we've got record high waiting times. What makes you think you can do a better job as first minister? And then the
1: economy was another big point of debate between the candidates, wasn't it?
6: I mean, yes, Forbes is basing a lot of her pitch around her proven competence on the economy as finance secretary. We have an uh, interview with, with Forbes in The Guardian on on Monday, where she said that she would not raise income taxes for the better off which was a policy that, that Sturgeon certainly embraced to increase public spending. She was arguing that uh, rather than raising taxes, it had to be about growing the economy, uh, expanding the tax base. Uh, in a low-growth economy,
3: uh, high tax is the only, but it's way, your ambition. It's the only way to increase the spending on our public services.
6: Hamza Youssef, however, when he's questioned about economics, talking much more about this notion of a well-being economy, which absolutely puts him on the same page as the Scottish Greens.
4: I'm going to make sure that we continue our progressive policies uh, raising, uh, we have raised tax for those who pay the highest. So you'll raise tax again? I've not said we'll raise it you again. You said, I think well, you've got the balance. sounded like you were about to. I said, I've got, we've got the balance right. And
6: Forbes has also said that the transition from North Sea oil and gas needs to be a bit more cautious. The just transition means putting justice at
3: its heart, not throwing jobs to the wind, but ensuring that those jobs have somewhere to go in our renewables industry.
6: Yusuf, on the other hand, suggesting that he would continue with the progress that that Sturgeon had made on winding down the North Sea industry. Uh, He's saying climate change is not going to go away.
4: Of course, the North Sea is a declining basin and Scotland has so much renewable potential.
1: The ideological splits between these candidates have become clear as well, notably over the Gender Recognition Reform Bill, which would give people the right to self-identify Westminster politicians blocked that bill from going through. And now we can see that several SNP politicians disagreed with it as well, including Kate Forbes. Does it seem her position on this
6: is popular with voters? Certainly, if you look at the polling that was done by Channel 4 for their debate last Thursday, it showed that in terms of voter priorities, gender recognition reform was was right down the list behind the NHS education. I think where this sort of really matters for the candidates now is in terms of challenging the UK government's block on the bill, because Yusuf is the only candidate who has said that he would continue with Nicola Sturgeon's commitment to challenge it in court. But then, Forbes and Regan argue that it's simply not a voter priority, particularly during a cost of living crisis, and suggest that it would be a waste of money to take a court case like this when it's not certain at all that the Scottish government would, would win this. I think it's clear that self-identification will will not happen if Forbes wins. And it's worth mentioning at this point too that the Scottish Greens have actually suggested that they may leave that coalition if Kate Forbes is elected SNP leader because they are so against her views on equal marriage and gender recognition reform.
4: What people need to do, and and they, they rightly expect from their First Minister is that they can look that person in the eyes and genuinely believe that that person does not believe that they are morally inferior, that they will protect their rights, they will advance their rights. And I'm the only candidate uh, that has uh, unequivocally said that they will protect everybody's rights.
6: Forbes has insisted that she will not allow her faith to impact her policy making. How I would serve in the future can be gleaned from how
3: I've served in the past which is setting budgets without prejudice.
6: But having said that, we also have some contradictions. She's said that she would not have voted for equal marriage had she been in the parliament at at the time. She's also been repeatedly pressed on whether she thinks abortion is morally wrong and refused to say.
4: I'm asking you, do you believe abortion is wrong?
3: Well, and I've, I've given you the answer. That there's a distinction between what I would do myself, which I think is actually the common view held by a lot of people in Scotland and beyond. In principle, for everyone, not just
4: for you, is abortion wrong? In
3: principle, we have those legal provisions in place and I would uphold those legal provisions.
6: But says that she will support member's bill that's currently going through Holyrood to introduce buffer zones which would protect women and healthcare workers from anti-choice protesters around abortion clinics. She's also said in terms of introducing a complete ban on conversion therapy that this needs to be balanced with people's faith and it's not entirely clear how practically she would work out the balance between her faith and her policy making. And Yusuf's been questioned about that as well, hasn't he? Because
4: he's Muslim.
6: Yusuf has said repeatedly that he does not legislate on on the basis of his faith.
4: My faith is not the basis by which I make legislation or policy.
6: It's fair to say that he has much more evident track record, so simply because he's been in government for a bit longer. But he has confirmed his support for equal marriage, gay adoption, a full ban on conversion practices, buffer zones around abortion clinics and and so on.
1: Probably the most important debate between these three is about how Scotland will achieve independence. To what extent are they agreed upon that?
6: Well, I think it's interesting that actually for both Forbes and Yusuf, this is a point of agreement and where they are positioned against Ash Regan. We need a more intentional
3: approach to reaching no voters, and that is through gentle persuasion.
4: A route to independence is actually quite simple. Our opponents want us to talk endlessly about process. Actually, what we have to be talking about is policy. We have to be inspiring people with our vision to independence. If we do that, much like we got the Scottish Parliament, those political obstacles will disappear.
6: What both of those front runner candidates say is that there is no point in getting bogged down in the process of when to hold another referendum if you don't have majority support for independence. Although, They are also saying that they want to involve the SNP membership much more in decision making around independent strategy and that they want to put lots of different options on the table for members to discuss. And over the last weekend before ballots opened... Some nuances emerged on their independence strategies. Kate Forbes was saying that, indeed, it could be years before another independence vote is held because the case just isn't persuasive enough at the moment. And she told The Guardian that the SNP sort of had to put greater emphasis on slowly persuading no voters. Meanwhile, Youssef told another newspaper that he would consider using a general election as a de facto referendum, or calling a snap Hollywood election to test support for independence. And I wonder if that is perhaps about him trying to reach out to hardline activists as the polls open.
1: I mean, it might be surprising to people watching these debates that there are these splits within the SNP. The Mail on Sunday reported this weekend that the SNP has lost 50,000 members in the past four years. What is the makeup of the party now? And does it actually attract a wider range of perspectives
6: than people might commonly assume it to? The independence movement has always been a really broad church. And also, let's not forget that the SNP itself used to be monikered the the Tartan Tories. They were certainly far more business-oriented under Alex Salmond, for example. There has been a little bit of research done into the membership. That was a few years ago now, but it did show that, you know, whilst you might get the impression that the SNP is is made up of a very youthful, very progressive membership, actually the average age is, is a bit older than you might expect, and... You know, beyond that activist cohort uh, and people who are going to branch meetings on a regular basis, you know, getting involved, putting the leaflets through the door and so forth. There is this swathe of members still that uh, we don't know very much about.
1: In leadership campaigns, it's always difficult to get accurate polling on how members may vote. But what indications are there so far of how this might go?
6: So we have had a few polls since the leadership contest started. And I have to give health warnings here in that I don't think they are hugely reliable. They've all been based on fairly small samples of SNP members and not subject to the usual demographic weighting. But they have shown that it is too close to call at this stage. And certainly from The soundings I'm getting from both camps, the impression I get is that it is going to be a very, very close race.
1: Right, because the members voting don't just pick one candidate, they put them in an order of preference. The votes for the candidate who comes third will then get redistributed to the others. How, in this race, could that voting system shape the final result?
6: So... Ash Regan could actually end up being decisive. It's very unlikely that she is going to be anything other than third place. Given the correlation between Forbes and Regan's position on gender recognition reform, it's likely that the majority of Regan's second preferences will go to Forbes. And so if you have a situation where Hamza Yusuf fails to make 50% plus one in the first round that could well push Kate Forbes over the line in the second round.
1: Coming up, how this election will shape what the SNP stands for.
2: The wait is over and we are back for series two of pop culture with me, Shantae Joseph. We'll dive into the biggest pop culture stories of the week again, from Meghan and Harry. And this is why sort of turning Harry and Meghan
4: into polarising figures ticks a lot of boxes because it just drives clicks. To Rihanna.
3: Rihanna rocks off at about one she just swans in like she's the most
2: ordinary person in the world, smiling a couple of minutes late. And of course, the chaos of my life. I meet someone, I show my friends, they're like, mm, yeah, it's okay. Four weeks later, I'm sliding down the wall crying. One week later, I message my friends. I met you guys. This is how I dated 11 people in one year. Join me every Thursday from the 16th of March, wherever you get your Podcasts.
1: Libby, how will the race go on from here? And when will we hear who's won?
6: Well, the ballots opened on Monday. The candidates are continuing to have campaign events across the country. The The ballots then close at noon on the 27th of March and the result is expected to be announced later that day. We've spoken about how
1: divisive this race is proving to be. Imagining a victory for each of these candidates, what would that mean for the identity of the SNP?
6: I mean, I think that that is the question that most SNP members, whether they are observers, activists, senior parliamentarians, are all wrestling with at the moment. We know that Kate Forbes' views on social issues, particularly around equal marriage, has left many LGBTQ plus members, you know, including senior ones like the MPs Mari Black and Hannah Bardell, feeling very hurt. I've heard from some members who are saying that they will actually leave the party if she becomes the next leader. And so whether there is some sort of Mass resignation that um practically changes the complexion of the party uh, I think that remains to be seen. We don't know as well how much Kate Forbes' previous views are going to impact the policies that she so, brings forward now and if it is a victory for Hamza Yusuf, we know that he's been sort of heavily criticized for his capacity to deliver you know most recently in the health service and he will be under a huge amount of scrutiny from the beginning to see if he can really sort of live up to the first ministerial rule.
1: Whoever wins is going to be taking the SNP into the next election in 2026. How big a task do you think it will be to unite this party and to keep it in government?
6: You know, was Nicola Sturgeon the glue that bound together all of these disparate groups? Was it the party itself? Was it the prospect of independence? And in that sense, was it the prospect of independence and a referendum sooner rather than later? All of these questions are up for grabs now, and we'll have to wait and hear what the Scottish electorate have to say about it. Libby, thank you very much. Thanks, Anna.
1: That was Libby Brooks. Go to theguardian.com to keep up with her reporting as this leadership campaign goes on. And you might have listened to The Guardian's pop culture podcast with Shantae Joseph. Well, I'm glad to say she's back with a second series for you, which is going to start this week. On Thursday, she'll be looking at the power structure behind the Oscars and asking why don't young people want to watch it anymore? You'll be able to find that episode and all of Series 1 wherever you got this podcast. Just search for Pop Culture with Shantae Joseph. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Clezia Sala and sound designed by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow.
2: or go to amazon.com slash news ad free.